All right, Titus chapter two, starting in verse 11, page 835, if you're using one of our Bibles. Verse 11, it says, for the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. I'm gonna read that one more time, verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself up for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. Uh, This past May, I don't know how many of you saw uh, the story of investor Robert Smith giving a commencement speech at Morehouse College. Uh, He was asked to give the commencement speech. He's a billionaire CEO investor. And in the midst of his commencement speech, he begins to share with these 400 graduates that he's not just there to give a few encouraging words. He's not there to give just a little bit of advice for their, for their next phase of life. But what he's actually gonna do is he's gonna free them from the burden of their student loans as they enter this next phase of life. Now, 400 graduates, it's about $34 million worth of student loans that he wiped clean. I know, it kind of just blows your mind, doesn't it? You're like, I wish I was there. $34 million wiped clean. And it's just been blowing my mind this week as I was reminded of this story. None, none of the debt was his, and he covered every single bit of it. Every single bit of it. I mean, can you imagine being a graduate, sitting there in a room about like this, and someone says, hey, the student loans you thought you were gonna have the debt you thought that was gonna tie you down, hey, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it, I'm gonna take, take care of it. If it's me, I'm like ugly crying in that audience right there. Not just crying, like ugly, ugly crying. He, he wasn't just changing the life of those graduates, he was changing the life of the parents who had helped pay, so the generation before. But he's also changing the generations that were gonna come after because he, he said this thing, he said, hey, I want you to pay it forward. I want you to pay it forward. This isn't just for you. This is so that you can pay it forward. Some of you probably heard this story this summer because it made headlines, but I was asking, okay, why does this make headlines? And why does this just kind of blow our minds away? Well, I think part of it, part of it is because we live in a world in which you don't have to live very long to figure out that, hey, if something is too good to be true, it normally is too good to be true, right? Like when you hear, oh, hey, this is free, you're like, okay, but what's the catch, right? Okay, if something, if something is free, there's normally two kind of situations or circumstances in which something is free. There's normally a catch with it or it's cheap. Uh, I can remember uh, apartment hunting. Keela and I did, were just getting ready to get married and I was apartment hunting here in Nashville and I would hop online every day and I would look at a few different websites. One of the websites I would look at was Craigslist you can find anything on Craigslist. So I'm, of course, looking for our place on Craigslist. And it didn't take me long to figure out that some of the listings on there were too good to be true. Um, I remember seeing this three-bedroom house. We didn't need three bedrooms. It was a three-bedroom house, one acre, 10 minutes from downtown. And I'm like, yes, this sounds awesome. It was only $600 a month. And so I email him, and he emails me back. And he's like, hey, 
It's yours. All you got to do is wire $2,000 to this bank account. I'm like, wait a second here. I think this is too good to be true. If you've ever hunted for a place on Craigslist in Nashville, you figured that out very quickly. So typically, when something is 100% free, it's either really cheap or there's a catch. You know what I'm talking about if you've ever been to like a festival or an event and there's all these booths everywhere. You've got companies like Geico or Progressive like handing out their swag and so you're like, sweet, sunglasses. So you grab the sunglasses, you put them on and you're like, they don't work. And then about two seconds in, like they fall apart. You're like, okay, this was great that they were free, but they're really cheap, right? They're either cheap or there's a catch. How many of you have ever signed up for a free trial of something, right? You sign up, but for some reason they need your credit card information, even though it's a free trial. And you get two or three months in and that moment hits where you're like, I forgot to cancel the free trial. And you're scrolling through your bank account and that charge pops up and you're like, darn. Happened to me just last week. Signed up uh, for a car wash. One dollar, one dollar for an entire month of in as many car washes as you want. And then that $30 charge showed up and I'm like, I'm sorry, Keila, my bad. It's why the story of Robert Smith and Morehouse College, it's why it makes headlines. It's why this is a feel-good story. Because stories like this, they just don't come along. They don't happen that often. And when I was thinking about this story from Robert, Moore, from Robert Smith and Morehouse College, I was like, it's not just the amount of debt that he paid, right? I mean, that in and of itself is mind-blowing. I was like, he didn't have to do it. Like, there was... There was nothing that was forcing him to pay the debt of those students. And not only did he not have to do it, but the students didn't deserve it. Like there was nothing they did to deserve what happened to them. If they were anything like me, I can attest. That is true. That is true. And there's this, there's this thing that I begin to understand about why, why this happened. He, he did it out of the goodness of his heart. He did it just out of the overflow of his heart. Nothing was forcing him. They didn't deserve it. And yet he wanted to do it. And he was hoping that they would pay it forward. He said it later on in his commencement speech. I'm, I'm doing this so that you pay it forward. Uh, the president of Morehouse College, David Thomas, he, he kind of caught the heart of this really well. He was interviewed after the commencement speech. And this is what he said. And I quote, this liberation gift from Robert Smith, the first of its kind to be announced at a graduation in higher education, will be life-changing for these new Morehouse men and their families. It is our hope that our graduates will use their newfound financial freedom to pursue their career goals, to lead and serve the community, and to hear this, and to remember the spirit of the gift given to them by paying it forward. Over and over again in Scripture, we, we, we see it in the New Testament. We see it from our brother Paul. You hear about this gift from God. You hear about this gift that is free to anyone who is willing to accept it. This truth that there is a God who loves you deeply. He wants you to receive that love from him, and he wants you to be his. And our brother Paul, he's gonna express over and over again in the New Testament that this gift of knowing God, this gift of being saved by God, this gift of being redeemed by God, it is a gift from God that is 100% free. 
And this gift is not cheap. And there is no catch. And this gift can be summed up in one phrase, the grace of God. The grace of God is a gift that anyone can accept. But before we jump into Titus, I want to just talk about two categories that I think we typically find ourselves in when we talk about grace, when we talk about the grace of God. Now, there's more than two, but I'm just kind of choosing two big ones. The first is that the grace of God is something to be earned. So there's a catch when it comes to the grace of God. Even though there is nothing we could ever do to earn God's grace, we feel as though we can't accept it unless we jump through these set of religious hoops, unless we check these boxes, unless we clean ourselves up just enough in order to be able to accept God's grace. You are not worthy of God's grace by your merit. We are not worthy of God's grace by our merit. We, we aren't, we will not be, and we never will be. We can accept the gift of God's grace not by our merit, but by his mercy. By his mercy. Or maybe you're kind of on the other side of this fence when it comes to earning God's grace. You, you think, okay, I've, I've lived pretty good. I, I do the right things. I say the right things. In some aspect, you're telling yourself, oh, no, I actually have earned it. And no matter where you fall on either side of this fence, you have to understand there is no way it is impossible to earn God's grace. Or maybe you find yourself in the second category, number two, God's grace is a pass to keep living however you want to live. God's grace is cheap. The grace of God, it's like your get out of jail free card. It's your excuse to kind of keep sinning because you know, hey, it's no big deal. God's gonna forgive me. But here's the thing when it it comes to the, the grace of God. It is not cheap and you cannot earn it. There is no catch. And we're gonna jump back into Titus here. So I want us to understand the context of this letter. The context to which Paul is speaking into. See, Paul had recently completed a journey to Crete. That's the island that Titus is on when he's receiving this letter. Paul and Titus had gone on this journey and they've planted churches on this island of Crete. And Paul is left and he's left Titus behind. And so Titus is behind with these new planted churches. He's making sure these churches are cared for. He's making sure the foundation of these churches is strong. And so Paul, he writes this letter back to Titus. Who's at these churches in Crete? And he's heard about what's happening in the midst of the culture that they find themselves in. He's heard what's happening in the midst of the church that's in a little bit of disarray right now. You see, there's some things that are happening in the culture that have started to work its way into the church. Sounds a little bit familiar, doesn't it? And Paul, he's saying, hey, there's, there's some people who have had some stuff added to the gospel. There's some false teachers they're dealing with. They've taken the gospel, they've twisted it, they've added some things to it. They've added some religious hoops that people have to, have to go through. They're dealing with this Greek mythology that's at, that's at play here. And so Paul, he's speaking these words of encouragement and says, hey, I'm gonna remind you of something. The culture's a mess. The church is in a little bit of disarray. And he says, hey, I'm gonna remind you of the foundation of your faith. 
I'm gonna remind you where this whole journey ends and where this whole journey begins. He's gonna remind us that, hey, you are people, you are a church that is rooted in God's grace. See, Paul says, jump back, verse 11 with me. He says, remember, remember, for the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. Now, I want to spend a few moments just kind of unpacking this phrase, the grace of God. The grace of God. I think it expresses the most important truth in all of Scripture. And therefore, the most important truth for us as we walk out our faith. It's the message we are to receive. It's the message we are to believe. It's the message we're to share. It's the message we are to embody with our actions. It's this phrase, the grace of God, that I think gives us the greatest insight into the heart of God our Father. And I wanna give us just a clear definition to work from, kind of from this moment forward. So definition of grace for us moving forward. Grace is the unconditional love towards a person who does not deserve it. If you take notes, write that down. Grace is the unconditional love towards a person who does not deserve it. So grace is the opposite of karma, getting in which getting what you do deserve. And grace is not only getting what you don't deserve, it's also not getting what you do deserve. Of all the phrases in scripture, I don't think there is a better one that uncovers and exposes the heart of our heavenly father. You see the phrase, the grace of God, it's so much more expansive than the love of God. The grace of God is the love of God on display. The grace of God is the love of God received. The grace of God is the love of God flowing out freely to people like me and you who do not deserve it. It goes on to say in verse 11, he begins helping us understand, okay, what is this grace? He says, the grace of God appears. Now this word, it literally means that something emerged, something burst forth or it manifested. And so the grace of God has now manifested. The grace of God is no longer some theory. It's no longer just words. It's no longer this idea. Paul says, hey, remember, the grace of God appeared. The grace of God has manifested in a person, the person of Jesus. And Paul, a little bit later, he, he explains kind of what this means, the fact that the grace of God appears. Uh, open up. Let's turn back to Titus. Uh, we're going to go to chapter 3, verse 4. Chapter three, verse four. You have to remember this is a letter. They didn't have chapters or verses, so this just would have been like a few paragraphs later. He said, hey, remember, the grace of God appeared, and then he goes on to explain kind of what, the, what, what this means. Verse four of chapter three, it says, and when the kindness and the love of God our Savior appeared. Okay, so the grace of God is the kindness of God and the love of God appearing through Jesus. It said, he saved us not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generally, generously through Jesus, probably generally too, but also generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs. We might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. And then Paul says, this is a trustworthy 
saying, God's grace is free to us because Jesus has paid the price. We can accept the grace of God and have the hope of future glory with God because Jesus has paid the price on the cross. College was free to those Morehouse graduates because someone else paid, right? It came at a cost to someone. It would have either had a catch or it would have been cheap. And the grace of God is not cheap and there is no catch. It's the greatest news there ever was. The grace of God not only offers salvation, which promises the hope of eternal life. In verses 12 and 13, we were reminded, hey, it's actually grace. It's the grace of God that continually teaches us and trains us to live lives that are both pleasing to God and deeply satisfying in him. Let's read verses 12 and 13 again. It says, it teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope. So depending upon which translation you're using, it says that God's grace, when it says it, it's talking about God's grace either trains you or teaches you to say no to ungodliness, to say no to worldly passions, and say yes to self-control, godly lives. Now, to kind of sum these verses up, 12 and 13, into kind of one big idea, it's this. The grace of God is not about a transaction. It's about a transformation. Grace is God's catalyst for transformation, for teaching us, for training us, for pointing us to live the kind of lives that not only pleases him, but also frees us up to live the kind of lives that are deeply satisfied in him and him alone. Lives that are deeply rooted in him, right? Now this is backwards from, from our natural way of thinking. And so the kingdom of God, like the kingdom of God always does, kind of flips a natural way of thinking, kind of flips it on its head. If I'm thinking about how transformation will most likely happen in my life or in the life of someone else, what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna kind of give this like rewards and consequences type of method. I'm gonna say, okay, if, if I want this outcome, I'm gonna tell myself, if you do this, then you will get this reward. Or if you don't do this, this is gonna be the consequence or vice versa. This is kind of that way of thinking. And here's, here's the thing about that way of thinking. It's rooted in fear and intimidation, which never produces lasting fruit, which never produces lasting change, which never produces lasting transformation. God understands this. He created us in his infinite wisdom. He knows how we operate. So he flips the script on us and he says, it's actually gonna be love and kindness that you don't deserve that's gonna teach you, that's gonna train you to live lives that I've made you for. And I love the results of a life that is rooted in God's grace. It's not only a life that's marked by transformation, by his grace. It's a life that begins to be marked by application of his grace. At the end of verse 14, I don't know if you notice this, at the very end, I look at that, it says, you become eager to do what is good. Or your translation might say, you become zealous for good works. You become zealous for good works. So you've received the free gift 
of God's love and kindness through the grace of Jesus. You are now being transformed by God's grace. It's your, it's your training mechanism. It's the tool in which God is going to use to train you and teach you. Well then, by the power of the Holy Spirit, it's the inside out way of the kingdom. Internal transformation happens with some sort of application, right? You then begin to live it out. You then begin to apply this grace that you've received that's transforming you to your everyday life, to your everyday interactions, to your everyday moments that you encounter. And I love the way it describes it. It says, you become zealous for good works. You've received grace, and then so the, you, you become zealous and eager to give grace. But it's not by your power. It's by his power through you that this happens. This is the result. You begin to wanna pay it forward. I mean, I was thinking, 400 graduates, Morehouse College, they received this gift, a gift they, they did not deserve, and yet this gift that was freely given to them. And Robert Smith, he says, hey, pay this gift forward. And just imagining 400 college graduates paying this gift forward for the rest of their life, how many lives are they going to affect by this gift of grace that they received? I was just thinking about us. I'm like, okay, we, we are recipients of God's grace. We have received a love and a kindness from God that we do not deserve. And if that sinks into the depths of our hearts, we begin to not take things for granted. We begin to not take people for granted. And I'm like, okay, if all the believers in the world, if, if every follower of Jesus begin accepting the gift of God's grace daily, begin allowing it to transform our, our heart and our mind, and then we begin to pay that forward, we begin to extend the grace that we did not deserve, like how is that gonna affect the world? If each one of us, as we begin to walk out of here right now, we're not going to, but if we were, what would begin to happen? If we begin to apply the grace that we've received to others, think about the good that would come. Think about the peace that would come. Think about the resolution of, of relationships that would come. Think about the love that would begin to bubble up in the midst of a culture and a world that so desperately needs love that has no sort of consequence on the back end, no sort of expectation on the back end. Imagine if we just begin applying the grace that we have so freely give freely to the others around us. Uh, we would change the world. It would change the world. If we fully accepted God's grace and we fully applied that grace to those around us, it would change the world. And so the question is, one, will we accept the offer of God's grace? Something we can't earn, something we don't deserve, and yet something that he so desperately and so desires to give us. Will we allow it to continually transform, daily transform our hearts and our minds through the work of the Holy Spirit? Will we allow God to teach us and train us to become eager, zealous 
for good works. Now, I want us to go to communion, and I want to go with kind of one question. One question. How can we daily accept the offer of God's grace, and how will it affect the way that we live? How can we daily accept the offer of God's grace, and how will it affect the way that we live? You can throw that slide up there um, if, it's, if it's on there. If it's not, it's not too long of a question. I think y'all can remember How can we daily accept the offer of God's grace? And how will it affect the way that we live? I'm gonna pray for us and let's head to communion together. Father, I am um, just reminded of your love and your kindness this morning. I'm reminded of just how good you've been to me and how undeserving I am of that goodness. God, how you just so generously want to pour out your love and kindness. How generously you want to pour out salvation to all people. And God, I, I would ask that like our hearts would begin to um, believe this and that our hearts would begin to be transformed by this truth and that we would go out from this place with that truth. And God, we understand that This is not something we can muster up. This is not something we can do on our own. Uh, This has to be an inside out work of your Holy Spirit in our lives. And so by the power of your Holy Spirit, uh, will you allow us to, to see your grace for what it really is, to accept your grace for what it really is, and transform our hearts in a way that transform our lives to the people around us. So Jesus, it is by your name, by your power and your blood that we pray. And together as a whole church, we say, amen.